It's the most wonderful time of the year! Hello and welcome to week one of the IndieCorner.com's G1 coverage. I'm Benno and uh, we're stepping a little bit out of our comfort zone as I'm joined here by British Wrestling Spotlight Joe and JP to take you through the G1 as it unfolds over the next four weeks. We'll be here weekly to talk the highlights and the lowlights of each week of tournament action. So yeah, gents, uh, we're here. So we're a week into G1. How are you? All right, mate. Yourself? Not bad at all. Uh, not as good as JP. JP, you just got back from holidays, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just back from Turkey, where I actually watched a quite a bit of G1 out there as well, which sounds I was cool. very impressed that you managed to do that. Oh, it was, Ford, it, honestly, what a time to be alive. <laughs> I can remember buying tapes from Rob Butcher, who would like this advert in the back of Power Slam magazine. And that was the first time, like, so the only times I was able to ever see anything Japanese, that was the first time. And that was mainly deathmatch shite as well that I'd ordered. <laughs> It's not, I wish I could say I was ordering the, you know, Masawa Kabashi, but it was a lot of rubbish. But then I can sit on a Turkish beach watching G1 Climax <laughs> live on my phone. It's absolutely, while sunbathing, it's insane. What a world. I mean, I, what a world. I was jealous. I was kind of seeing you over there watching all the matches. I mean, my life pretty much for the last week, as probably most people listening to this, has been trying to find moments to sneak in G1 matches. I tried to, on lunch today, I watched a match or two, tried to sneak a couple in while I was sat in Subway, um, getting some free refills there as well uh, to get to get myself through and get all ready for this podcast tonight. But yeah, watching it uh, sat in, in Turkey does sound like the, the ultimate experience. Uh, Joe, how have you managed to be uh, fitting all of the, the shows in this week? Oh, I've had the last uh, week and a half of work, and uh, I had loads of holiday left over, which I was like, well, I may as well have it now. As a teacher, I really take holiday during the holiday, so I've had uh, <laughs> plenty of time to fit it in, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've, I've just been watching it at home <laughs> during the day. I've been waking up most days. I've, I've got a little bit behind, so I've been sort of a day behind most of the time, so I've been waking up most days, and watching a bit of G1 mm. to over my breakfast, which is uh, quite nice, <laughs> quite a good way to wake up. Certainly beats watching, I don't know, Pierce Morgan on a morning, that's for sure. <laughs> it's came at the perfect time, hasn't it? World Cup ended, G1 started. The biggest problem I've got and the reason I've I've been kind of sneaking in on my lunch breaks or maybe when my boss disappears every now and then getting a match in, is it's very easy to get spoiled on this stuff and I'm trying my best to watch unspoiled, but it, it's really, really hard um, to keep it going. Does, does that bother you at all, trying to avoid spoilers, or are you just t- taking it as it comes? Uh, I see little bits and pieces. Uh, sometimes I just forget and go on Twitter and I see, like, a GIF. Hmm. But I don't often see match results. Um, but also I've been using um, various reviews by, say, Ian Hamilton or Arn Furious. Top reviews, thank you, guys. Uh, as a little bit of a guide at times as yeah, well. So I know to skip, like, the... Macabre matches which I was probably going to skip in the first place to be honest um, and just getting results from the tag matches and seeing if there's anything worth watching from those matches mm. which rarely there is yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah little bits and pieces you get spoiled it's weird though because like 
this is probably what the fifth or sixth G1 I've watched now, um, like properly as it's going mm. on. But I remember the first couple of G1s I watched, I was like weeks, I was like two weeks behind and wasn't bothered about being two weeks behind and was just sort of watching it at my own pace. Mm. And I remember finish. I remember actually finishing the first G1 I ever watched in October uh, of that year. I think that was 2013. Yeah, I think it was. Mm. And just not being bothered that I was finishing it like a month and a half after, after it was <laughs> over. get away with it, now, Yeah, like, but five years on, like, you have to keep up with it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's changed in that five-year period. I think it's, yeah, maybe it's the it's the accessibility because uh, it sounds like me and you have been watching the same number because the first year I started watching, I mean, I've obviously seen G1s, but watching them as they go along was when they first started putting them on pay-per-view. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name. What was the name of the provider online that used to uh, provide them? Oh, um, I used to torrent them, so I don't know. I think, yeah, I think they were it was they were owned by Twitch. I can't quite remember the name of them right now, but it was like twenty pounds to buy like one show. And I remember after, yeah, I remember, that. I remember buying yeah. two, and then just being like, yeah, maybe maybe I will just go on Daily Motion and watch these things. But it was much oh, more yeah, difficult to to track down, wasn't it? Yeah, Daily Motion was a great source uh, back then as well. Like, I probably shouldn't be op- open about my torrenting five years ago. <laughs> I do pay for New Japan World now, have done since its inception. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> Just to cover that over. Um, <laughs> well, that's the thing. There's no like, there's no excuse now, yeah. is there? There's no reason to to kind of do that. Like I say, I tried to be honest in the past, and you just there's that what well, that those twenty pounds were adding up very quickly, um, and I saw better. But yeah, there's no excuse now with New Japan World. That's probably the biggest thing, isn't it? The fact that everyone can subscribe for two months and get absolutely every match different world yeah exactly you've got two months and it's fantastic with frank and we're going to talk about him a fair bit i imagine with two three fantastic commentators as well doing it in english understanding all of the storylines and everything it's just it really is another world and obviously there are those who who for them, they'll always end up watching it with the Japanese commentary, which is absolutely fair enough. That's just a personal preference. And people who've watched J- Japanese wrestling over that longer period of time are going to be able to do that. Mm. But yeah, the accessibility is just in- incredible. Yeah, but there are always issues that they should design the site much more for uh, cater to much more of a Western audience. Given is it what about forty thousand subscribers now? Is that what they're looking at? Is that 40,000 40, Western, Western subscribers? Yeah, US and Europe. Yeah, primarily. yeah. That sounds right. Um, I think it's that in 60,000 Japanese. Hmm. Something along those lines, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you, you've you've got like this this product that is cheap and by God, you get your money's worth. And they've not been doing 99p for three months either, have they? No, exactly. <laughs> it's like... They give you what the the the, sh- the last show that was on today. That's the one that they gave away for free. I oh, think, was it? I yeah, didn't realize they had that one to give away for free. So I listened to the review of Post Wrestling, mm. which they also gave that away for free. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's like it's a big. I mean, that that's a good way of kind of getting people in, isn't it? Giving people a, yeah. a chance to try it, and yeah, it's a big difference from back in the day i was just trying to remember it was Ustream that used to be the provider back in the day uh, yes. but yeah much easier with it being being on new japan world and and, and us just having the accessibility there uh, it just gives no excuse not to uh, at least attempt to to keep up with it um the, the one other point i was going to make as well we're just talking spoilers i mean i've got before we go any further jp i've got to mention the other thing that's uh keeping me maybe i'm <laughs> spoiling it myself by constantly refreshing and checking the results there's a a couple of g1 pickums out there post 
wrestling uh, are doing one and voices of wrestling are doing one. I'm doing all right in the post-wrestling one. I decided to try and cheat and do a second entry in the voices of wrestling pickums, and I'm doing awfully. Uh, that's probably my own fault. That's karma for uh, for me trying to do two entries. But uh, JP, you're doing just a, a little bit better. Yeah. Um, it's really weird because I kind of blitzed it like the day before. So I just went through and, right, am I going to do this? Mm. And, yeah, I'm, I'm leading it. It's going to go wrong. <laughs> Number one in the world, JP so. Houlihan. Don't, don't underplay it, JP. Yeah. I mean, after that's five days, right that's impressive. Yeah, it's, it, do, it doesn't feel right. It's going to go badly wrong. <laughs> Joe, Joe had pointed out earlier on that I've got Elgin getting four points, and, and I think that's going to be one of the things that comes back to bite me on the arse. But yeah, I've had a couple of great days. It's it's quite interesting. I mean, I kind of wish that there was there was I won't lie, I wish there was money in this mm. because it'd make it really like you'd be sat there really on the edge of your seat. JP won the uh, work World Cup sweepstake oh, as yeah, well, yeah, so he's on a he's on a winning streak at the moment. I don't know. Yeah. I was second to last on our work World well, Cup one, and I swear it's not my fault. I mean, who was predicting half of those results? I'm not having it, other than JP, obviously. Um, but at least I'm doing better in the post G1 picks. But yeah, have you got have you got a second you, team in post as well, JP? I've got I've got one in post. I'm on 18 points. I think it's 19's the leader. Oh, I'd slightly what? changed. Yeah, it. you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Mastermind I with s- JP here, G1 style. What's going on? There is a. Oh, I'd see, the thing is, if I start talking about, oh, this is the little system for it, the whole thing goes to fucking shit. <laughs> I reckon you and uh, Ghetto, uh, since you saw Ghetto at that Rev Pro show and <laughs> nodded at him and said, good booking, mate. Cracking <laughs> Yeah. He gave you the ins. I think, I think you were in, like, sync of him in some way there, weren't you? <laughs> That's it, yeah. I saw the plan. I saw I saw, I saw what he was doing during that, <laughs> those Strong Style Evolved shows. So who is winning the whole thing, JP, Mystic JP? Go on, tell us. Spoiler whole <laughs> tournament. So I've got Akada beating Naito in the final, you know, mm. with because um, I just figured they're going to go Akada. It's, I've got this weird logic, which is based on the idea that WWE are going to raid Kenny Omega, Cody, the Bucks and the rest of it. So I think it's building back to Akada getting his big win back over Omega at Wrestle Kingdom mm. for the title. And... And then they'll have a obviously Nitel being the semi main. So I had them two going through, and I just worked backwards from that. So like, okay, how are they going to do it? And had them try and work out the points from that point onwards, and work backwards, and then sort of, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that, It'll go badly that's wrong. That's the genius. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, yeah. I got overconfident. Just guessing what the stories are, and that's the stuff we're going to talk mm. about. So I, it was after the G one special in San Francisco, so. You had there the the fact that all the Tongans were getting involved. And I think people had already put their pick, picks in mm. by that point, and so I think that kind of changed it round because obviously there's a much more of a story focus, which is the story of Block A so far at the moment, anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, it, it's not going to last. <laughs> I, I think Ibushi might be destined to be in the final though. So Simon and Mega on the last day, isn't it? Well, that's it. I yeah, I think I had them drawing. Mm. And then okay. it's that would make and sense. Then, and then Naito goes through. Ah, uh, like the Tanahashi yes. Okada Goto yes. final. Yeah, yeah. That's what I had. So that way you're still putting that on the back burner. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I could see that happening. I mean, I went the opposite way. I thought Ibushi would just be there as playing spoiler on the last day for Kenny Omega and stopping him going to the final. But yeah, don't listen to me. I was top of post for one day and now I fell all the way down. And I was only really top <laughs> because I put myself in a 
in as Benno, so alphabetically <laughs> uh, it got me there, to be honest. That was all there was to it. Uh, but yeah, we've talked around it. And top of the league, top of the league, Benno. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'll take it. I, I took a screenshot of it. It's like being top of the league after the first day of the Premier League or something, isn't it? <laughs> that's it, yeah. Blackpool were top for a day <laughs> yeah. a few seasons Just ago. Just beginning with B. Yeah, that's the way it, it usually goes. Uh, maybe the, the, the end is uh, going to be the real tell. We'll, uh, we'll check in again next week and, uh, and see where we see where we both are. But yeah, we've talked around it enough. Let's uh, let's get into the tournament itself. We're going to go through highlights of each of the days. We're not going to go through uh, match by match. We're going to give you a bit of a flavour of what the the highlight of uh, of week one of the G one has been. Um, quite a few talking points, both in A block and B block. Uh, we started with A block on day one, A block being the block where, again, when I was putting my pickups together, I was looking at it and thinking, this is very much the, the weaker uh, of the two blocks. And I think it's mm. somewhat played out this way, um, especially, I mean, day one, especially, I was kind of after the show thinking, God, uh, this was decent, but it didn't feel, uh, I don't know, G1 worthy. I think block B was uh, was much better on day two. But uh, how did you both uh, find day one? And uh, did you have uh, any highlights? Um, I thought day one was pretty similar to how you just summed it up, to be honest there, Benno. Mm. Um, there have been better first days in G1s before. And let's be honest, I think <laughs> the B block is clearly the stronger block and was the stronger block from the outset. Mm. You know, when you're opening matches Yoshihashi versus Makabe, <laughs> I'm not going to be getting too excited for for that one, to be honest with you. But there were still some okay things on the show. I, I thought Evil and Michael Elgin had a good match. I thought Suzuki and Tanahashi was awesome mm. uh, on the first day. Like, I thought that was as good as their match that they had in what was it, what was it January February this year mm-hmm. and it really played into that match as well and felt like it was revisiting certain spots and moments from that match I thought that was a really well put together yeah. match um but then at the same time I thought that should have been the main event because the main event I was completely underwhelmed by because of the mix of Akada's obviously new and interesting <laughs> evolution and character yeah. and jay white um <laughs> who is probably like my most disliked wrestler at the moment i've got to say <laughs> i mean that's probably the, the, the best uh starting point really is a talking point that match kind of encapsulates the the two biggest talking points of the g1 okada with his shit music and his kind of half-arsed looking red hair with his balloon wanker kazucha okada as i've been describing him it's quite clearly a story isn't it we were all looking at it i mean a strong style evolved uk and it seemed obvious then but it seems even more obvious now when he's throwing in scooby dooby doos in matches and just quite clearly looks like a, i don't know a man in a in a midlife crisis um i, I mean what what do you what do you make of it jp so far with okada before we get into to jay white who's the the other main talking point well you see i, I like the idea of mm. it I think as an idea, as a concept, it's actually very good as a kind of little period to have in there. I think the timing of it doesn't really work, though, because it feels still too close to Dominion. And so he's only just lost the title. There's obviously been this kind of flurry of matches that he's had. And the change has been quite, has been quite like, not in terms of like him switching from the trunks to the trousers, because those things have meaning in terms of when people change up their character mm. but with the balloons and stuff that stuff is is kind of like this is actually quite odd 
dyeing his hair red and and whatnot. It just feels like they've kind of, it's kind of rushed. It feels a bit too compressed for it perhaps to play out and breathe for a bit longer and have these changes be a bit more gradual. Having said that, I'm kind of banking. I'm wondering at what point does he turn hmm. because he's going to need to turn, and he's going to obviously be there come the end of the tournament. So at what point are we going to start having him back? Is it going to build up then hopefully to him at Budokan coming out in what would be the traditional Rainmaker get up with the traditional Rainmaker music going back to his old ways as the way of him kind of winning. Um, in terms of the match, oh, I, I was watching it on a beach. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was nice. I was like, ah, you know, this, this is, this is okay. But get, I was a bit any bored. girlfriend to take pictures of you yeah. while you were watching it on your phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I nearly fell asleep at one point. Oh, wow. In an Okada match. I know, but it was like also 40 degrees and it was insane. I was, you know, it was like, oh, this is a lot taken. So I then ended up watching it a little bit later on and it, it just was, didn't feel like a main event. They've not been designed, like you say, an Akada match, Bello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Akada J. White and Tanahashi J. White haven't been designed as Akada and Tanahashi matches, really, have they? They've been very much about J. White and they've been based around him more so than they have uh, Akada and Tanahashi, I find. And I think I, I, I echo uh, JP's uh, thoughts there. I was really zoning out at points of the Akada match, and I never find I ever do that during an Akada match. Yeah. And then I was zoning out during the Tanahashi match when Tanahashi was selling. And Tanahashi, I think, is one of the best sellers in the entire wrestling business, arguably the best. Um, yeah, uh, to me, it sort of speaks volumes about the layout and the booking of Jay White's character and the matches he's being put into and the situations he's being placed into. Mm. I think he's being pushed way above the level of his ability. And I don't think that his positives are being accentuated in any way at all at the moment. Um, and I don't think there was anything Okada or Tanahashi could really do about that. Um, yeah, I, I find Jay White really hard to watch. Have done since he debuted at... Um, that was the, the Tokyo Dome, wasn't it? We're against mm. Tanahashi. And I've just not got what people are seeing mm. in this because I've never seen someone look like they're playing fake pro wrestler as much as Jay White is in this gimmick. I just find it the most cringe, unnatural, um, unorganic gimmick I've ever seen someone try and portray in a wrestling ring. And I, I'm just sort of fed up of it. I'm kind, I was kind of annoyed I had to watch the Elgin match today for this show because I was like, I've got to watch another Jay White match. <laughs> but it was quite good, if I'm honest with you. Yeah. And Michael Elgin was immense in that match. But yeah, Jay White, I am so down on. Yeah, it's it's weird because I think people, a lot of people were saying stuff like this, you know, at the time of Wrestle Kingdom, that really disappointing match with Tanahashi. And I'm, I'm seeing people turn in the corner on him and we will get to his other matches a little bit later in the show, but where maybe I've been convinced in a minor way but overall i can't argue too much with you there joe i just think it's it, it is it's his face it's just he doesn't look i mean there are parts in matches where he's kind of sneaking around and he's playing the chicken shit heel where i'm a little bit into it but all in all just the presentation i hear the rbr weekly wrestling talk described him as the school shooter and that's kind of what he that's almost what the gimmick is i mean it's tasteless but that's what it, it, i don't really understand what he's supposed to be and it just doesn't work for me it doesn't feel like the 
I don't know. I mean, maybe he'll grow into it at some point. But yeah, I, I've felt a little bit like I'm behind because people everywhere seem to be turning a corner on him. I mean, JP, you're our resident uh, New Japan young boy ep- um, expert. You're uh, you've been a big <laughs> fan of, of Jay White in the past. Did sound bad. You've been a, a big fan of Jay White in the past. Um, do you see much in this gimmick for him? At least, I suppose, as a wrestler that I know you've been a fan of in the past, you can say that. Well, mm. he's in there with Okada and he's being put over. So that's that's good, I suppose, isn't it? Well, the th- I kind of echo a lot of the opinions when it comes to the character because it just feels like he's wrestling a style that isn't his style in a character that's not really him. Mm. And this really does echo the, the the points that both of you have raised about him as well. Like, for example, it's like trying to work out what this character actually is. And you've kind of hit upon the crux of the problems. When he came back at Wrestle Kingdom, sorry, when he came back before Wrestle Kingdom and he challenged Tanahashi, it was like, why are you challenging Tanahashi other than the fact he's Tanahashi, mm. which really anyone can do? And he did that. And it was like, okay. And then he had the match, and the match was was disappointing by Wrestle Kingdom standards. And it, it was it was dull given the amount of time that was there as well. Um, in terms of the good matches he's had, I think this was a, a, a point you brought up on Twitter, Joe, was um, like the match he had with Osprey and Ring of Honor, which was really was a sprint. And they were yeah, just going it's like 12 minutes walk. where they just go through it, yeah. Now, that seems that's more him. Mm. That's more like him as a human being. And it'd be more... So the character would feel more organic within that if he was allowed to wrestle that style. But this slow, methodical style, which I've just written the kind of... It's, it's sort of... He needs to be less cheaty and more vicious. <laughs> like, there needs to be an element of kind of nastiness about him. And he I, isn't I that think kind he's of trying to do that, and it's just not coming off. Yeah, but it doesn't natural. feel genuine. No, no, no. Yeah. It feels really, really forced. I think one of the things that you were saying there about that Osprey match, the Elgin match today, I, I liked. Mm. I liked the Juice Robinson match um, from the G1 special. I especially, especially liked the bit where Josh Barnett challenged him, and uh, I thought Josh Barnett came off like a shit Roy Keane, if I'm honest with you. Seems like a bit of a prick, does Josh Barnett. Um, but I'm digressing there. But when you look at Jay White's best matches as well, they've all been with non-Japanese wrestlers. Mm. I find it really interesting that his matches with the Japanese talent seem to be the matches that are really lacking and where the gimmick comes off even worse. But those matches, he's booked to almost dominate the matches. He's on offense for most of those matches, but his offense is really boring. Um, Mm. I wanted to make a comparison as well. I just mentioned Juice Robinson, but think about Juice Robinson and think about Hangman Page and think about their characters and who they are. Their characters seem like extensions of their personalities and they seem very comfortable playing those characters like juice robinson is so over as a baby face and everything he does it feels like that is him kind of having fun enjoying himself hangman page's offense feels so genuine and so a part of the type of guy that he is the kind of rough edge to his execution like i believe he is that person and he feels comfortable playing that character nothing about jay white feels comfortable compare jay what think of jay white's middle fingers compare a jay white middle finger to a stone cold middle finger you've got like 
a badass middle finger against a high, a rebellious high school shooter <laughs> middle finger right there. There's no vigor yeah. or like uh, there's nothing in a Jay White middle finger. It just feels like he's being told to play a badass and he's playing a badass really badly. He's been woefully miscast in this role, I think. Mm. Um, Very much the Sophia Coppola of wrestling at this point. Godfather 3. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she plays the same character. That she She's the baby in Godfather 2. So she she is the same. So there's continuity there. Yeah. Sorry, we've gone. Obviously, we're not here to talk about the Godfather. <laughs> much as I love to talk about the film series, not the uh, um, Ho Train Godfather and all that. Um, no, I think it's it's fair. I mean, I, it's hard because yeah, there are big fans of Jay White out there, and I kind of. I like I, JP was one, mm, and, and I, I'm yeah. I, I was in the same boat as well. I like him as a wrestler. It's just yeah, it's this presentation. I mean, what did you? He obviously day one he cheats to win. Um, there was a ref bumping. There's all kinds uh, going on. It kind of plays into the Okada character, doesn't it? And going over Okada, but part of me was like. I think I'd almost prefer Jay White to go over clean because obviously, you know, we touched on it before. the The Akada story yeah. is that you know he's he's not himself right now. He's vulnerable, um, and almost Okada even getting a, a visual pin on Jay White undercuts that story a little bit. And Jay White needing so much bullshit to to win kind of und- undercuts that as well. Um, I don't know. It just it, it just doesn't it just didn't play right for me as a as a day one match. And maybe that's just getting used to to Jay White being uh, presented in this way. And obviously, there's a story that's being told about this kind of implied implosion of chaos. Yeah. And the issue is, is that if Jay White had had a cleaner victory over a card, or even just let's say pulled the tights and a roll up. Mm. That at least would have, there would have been like, okay, he took a little, he took a bit of an edge in order to get a victory, but it was kind of, at least it is somewhat clean. Mm. If not just having, yeah, just having a, a, a clean win against a distracted Akada, that would give him the credibility when it comes to kind of challenging it. Instead of it's like when he's hitting him with, when he's using chairs and whatnot, and you're thinking, okay. Like on the commentary today, it was explained that he was kind of forgiven and, and whatnot. I was like, I, I mean, hey. <laughs> yeah, it was like, what? what? Really? Yeah. Like that stuff, I'm, I'm just not particularly keen on. Uh, he's got shit hair, shit nose, shit gloves, shit jacket, shit tights. <laughs> he reminds me of Drew McIntyre when he was originally brought in in like 2009 in WWE. And he was given this massive push as the chosen one. Mm. And you could tell he was someone who clearly was at ability, which Jay White clearly does. And I, I did really like Jay White as a young boy. But there's a difference in working 10-minute matches as the opener to get across all your fundamentals and improve as a wrestler to then wrestling 25 minute main events. And within two years, he's been, you know, um, transferred from that position to these main events. And he's just not ready for it at this moment in time. And you look at Drew McIntyre 10 years ago, he wasn't ready for that position at that point in time. Whereas you look at Drew McIntyre now, he's obviously an awesome wrestler who's improved a massive amount. I just think that they've put too much stock into Jay White being a guy who's going to be really good and they've mm. rushed the push. Like when he was over in Europe and doing Ring of Honor last year in his excursion year, I saw him loads in Rev Pro and I never saw him have a good match in Rev Pro. Um, he, uh, the matches were too long. They really dragged and they were very boring and he was doing a different character, but I just don't think he 
is good enough to wrestle a lengthy match and tell an engaging story at this point in time over that sort of time in a match. Well, we'll talk some more about uh, Jay White as we as we go through the week. There is a match later in the week that maybe, as far as long matches go, maybe change my mind a little bit, but we'll talk about when we get there. I mean, just to yeah. wrap day one, JP, uh, Joe mentioned as well uh, the, the Tanahashi-Minoru Suzuki match, and I don't want to go further yes. without just giving that a little bit of love. Um, lots of great knee work in there. Uh, essentially... I suppose at the finish being a bit of a red herring, Tanner's knee getting worked over, and then he kind of just uh, fought back with the the high fly fr- flow and won, and almost uh, went after Minoru Suzuki's knee. You know, a bit of irony that being what cost Suzuki, but typical uh, Tanahashi G One performance. Not a a match of the year candidate by any means, but just one of those really really strong G One matches and a, a good way to set the tone for what uh, Tanahashi's tournament's going to be. Absolutely. It's kind of what you would expect a G1 semi-main to be, kind of between two big established names who are over with the crowd. Um, yeah, like you really like this match I mean, in terms of what Joe had said earlier on about Tanahashi selling just being awesome. And then when he hit that dragon screw and the oh. way that it looked like the leg had locked and the way Suzuki had sold it. Mm. That's the best dragon screw I've ever seen. Yeah. And the best selling of a dragon And it was convincing at that point how the t- tide had turned in that match based on that one based on that uh, one part, it kind of reminded me, do you remember the match with Minoru Suzuki and AJ Styles? Mm. Yeah, it was yeah, kind yeah. Of based match on, of the year, wasn't it? Yeah. Years ago. And it was like a lot of it based around a finger. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And this idea of that one kind of body part, you being able to kind of tell this story within that as well, it, it was fantastic. And uh, and so, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Uh, overall, um, it was it was kind of surprising to have Suzuki lose on that first it was a masterclass in selling as well I thought and being able to um, elicit emotion from your selling as well and Tanahashi did a great job of selling but then Suzuki kind of repaid the favour it's almost like well you did a great job making me look great I'll make you look good now mate Um, one of the things I really liked as well I think Suzuki is an absolute master at sitting in a hold but making it exciting Mm. and finding little things to do while he's sitting in holds and different ways to apply different holds to keep you engaged in the match and this here was an absolute example of this i thought the actual story in this match was great uh from start to finish like jp established with the knee work at the end and the dragon screw it was this should have been the main event on day one i thought because it was it would have been the perfect way to end um this this first day i think definitely yeah and again sets the tone you've got uh, tanahashi's knee falling off now and we will get to see uh, eight other matches with him continuing to play off that story he loves doing that doesn't he every year there's always one body part of uh, tanahashi the aging veteran who which seems to be falling off and he always tells a, a great story with it but yeah awesome match that on day one um so yeah they were probably the the two highlights, uh, well, the two biggest talking points of day one, Suzuki Tanahashi mm-hmm. and Okada J. White. But uh, let's get over to, to day two, the first B-block day. Uh, again, uh, highlights on this day, B-block we expected oh. to be, you know, the, the packed block. But this is, uh, we've had two B-block days so far and it's difficult to, to pick things out of the crowd because there's so much great stuff uh, happening in that block there's so much talent in there um, I suppose if we're going to start anywhere maybe uh, somewhere people wouldn't expect but a big highlight for me on day two is uh, Tomohiro Ishii and, and Toro Yano uh, Yano is just this story with I mean I 
I don't. Maybe I'll start with asking you what you you think of of Yano in G ones in the past because I I generally enjoy him. I like that he gives something different. Um, gives a bit of a yeah. break for the wrestlers and also a break for for us as fans. There's only I mean you almost feel, feel spoiled watching match of the year candidate after match of the year candidate. But I kind of like the change of pace that Yano gives you. Um, but this year I feel like it's it's gone one step further with Yano trying to play it straight. Um, what are you guys thoughts on Yano in the past and? Uh, uh, was this a, a good uh, a good day one for this this new improved attempting to wrestle Yano against Tomohiro Ishii? Oh yeah, I think it's a great uh, way to book Yano in this year's tournament. I think you were talking about his past tournaments. I've always enjoyed him in G1 for exactly the same reasons. I also loved last year how the match of Omega really wound up Davy Boy Smith Jr. Um, I don't know if you remember him having a go on Twitter last year about oh, it and God, Omega yeah. getting into it with him, which I thought was hilarious because a Davy Boy Jr. just comes. When up was the last time you were interested in a Davy Boy Jr. match? Uh, whereas I can say I was very much interested in this Yano Ishii match. Exactly, and I think because. Yano's like tropes are so established in G1 and that kind of usual way of how Yano book is booked and rest was in G1 is so established subverting that has actually kind of made us invest more in the matches and has caused a surprise but has also worked really nicely in the psychology of both of the matches that he's had so far and also I almost love the reverse roles between him and Ishii mm. in this match on day two mm. where it ended with Ishii <laughs> low yeah. blowing him and resorting to Yardo tactics it was like well you're playing my game I can play your game better because your game is easier to play here you go have this and I'm going to win now I thought that was great yeah Absolutely, completely, you know, go with, go with your thoughts on that and in terms of the role of it. I think when I first started seeing him, I didn't quite appreciate it. Then you get it. Actually, this is the first time, you know, I've had that emotional investment mm. in him, which I'm going to have the whole way through. I mean, I think it's him and Kota Ibushi tomorrow. And I think that's going to be just... I'm just thinking, what the hell are they going to come up with? He's beat Ibushi in G1 before in like two minutes, I remember. So might play off that one. I don't know yeah. if that was last year or the year before. can't remember. Um, and also the fact that he can have that victory against anyone, that unpredictability with him, just it, it, it does kind of wake you up. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was it was a really great way to start. And I'd lower it. Can't, you, you see it and you think, okay... What is this going to be? This could just be a really nice comedy match. But I found myself completely invested um, before being let down by Tamatonga coming uh, for the next, <laughs> the next match. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Tamatonga? I mean, uh, um, yeah. his match with Juice on this day, it's not a match I want to spend a long time talking about because it was just there. Tamatonga, he's one of the most uninteresting wrestlers in the world that, that silence that he comes out to you know with that oh, muted, the music the, music. the oh. muted i think it's rock, a rocky romero track but it's just so muted no one's really reacting just sums him up he's coming out doing gang signs in slow motion acting like he's the coolest man in the world and he's just not he's still the dickhead who came out to that g1 that year in the uh, the workout pants he had a different color every match thinking he was hilarious he's just such a geek um I don't know. I, I I I struggle to find anyone who's a fan of Tamatonga. Are, are either of you? Have you ever been 
in in the past because no. <laughs> the put, similar to the it, it ties into the Jay White stuff we were just talking about before. One thing we didn't talk about with day one was the um, Bad Luck Fale uh, Hangman Page match, which was pretty much a Bullet Club angle. And we're getting a lot of this with Tamatonga, yeah. a lot of interference in his matches. And I could maybe accept it if it was somebody worth a shit, but it's Tamatonga and Tamatonga and Juice Robinson. I just could not care less. Yeah, I'm with you. My notes, I've got notes at each individual in this, and my notes next to Tamatonga just says, fuck off. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, I'll be honest, I didn't even watch this match. (laughs) I I like Juice Robinson. Tamatonga does nothing for me, and uh, from the reviews I read, I missed nothing. Yeah, you you really do. I mean, I I think he he can hit a nice gun stun. Mm. I mean, I'm thinking of complimenting it, and he does it quickly. But it's so dull, and it does start with the music, and it's the whole way through. It's just these, these random things that he's coming out and saying, and just like, what are you fucking on about, mate? Mm. I, 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 yeah, and you see Juice, who you kind of you against everything, every bone in my body, which would have said I would love like the former C.J. Parker, really like Juice Robinson, mm. completely get him as he's kind of like what. Mambo should be. <laughs> this is a Chuck Mambo for uh, non-progress fans. He is just getting watching. Yeah. How have you managed to get that in it? Oh, just, I, honestly, I've been thinking it for a week. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's he's it's very dull. It's every match he's in, you're just thinking, all right, we just cut to the chase. Hmm. Just have Tongaloa do do his shit three minutes in, <laughs> and at least just sort of have him effectively be the kind of Yano role in there, but is any matches that go beyond sort of seven eight minutes? I'm, I'm thoroughly bored. For sure, I'm in those seven eight minutes. To be honest with you, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's get into the good stuff then from from yeah. day two. The I mean, Dave Meltzer uh, awarded Omega and Naito five stars. It's a, uh, I mean, the two big matches on day two. I think it feels like there's a story here with Omega and Ibushi trying to outdo each other. Um, or at least that's that's how it feels. I felt like Omega and Naito was the main event of night two. I felt like they've set the standard. Uh, I mean, I can. There are times where I can kind of glaze over, you know, when Kenny's gone into his V trigger spamming. Um, it's not always for me. I can recognise why everyone loves it, but. I'm not always a fan, but I did think that the last 10 minutes of Omega and Naito was just when they were going through the the, the different reversals from each each other's finishes and the, the teasers there and the just the heated, super excited crowd. This was the, I mean, there, were good, there was a lot of good stuff on day two, but this was, you know, the stuff where it was like, yeah, this is G1 season. Uh, I'm bang into this G1 this year. Yeah, it's a shame the Omega Naito match couldn't have uh, opened the tournament, to be honest. Mm. I mean, the big sort of marquee main event the first night, like the Ibushi Naito match was last year, which was incredible. Because this this has been my favourite match of a tournament so far. Um, And every kind of big match trope you kind of want within this sort of match, to be honest... I thought it played off their previous matches really nicely. There were some good reference points to that, especially the bit with the pillar um, in the corner. I thought that was played off of really effectively. Um, Some of the reversals in the match as well as the match matches intensity picked up. 
oh, that Steiner screwdriver I was going absolutely crazy for. And the thing I loved about it as well is it wasn't to the hard cam. <laughs> so yeah. it felt so organic and so natural, mm. like it just happened in the match. And it was like a desperation move to get out of, was it to get out of the Destino? I can't yes. remember off the top of my head. And it just worked and looked so great. I saw, I loved the way that Omega had Naito's key offense scouted and he had a reversal for everything he was doing. I thought that was absolutely awesome. Mm. How about you, JP? Oh, yeah, this this is my favourite match so far. I mean, <clears throat> there's always arguments about five-star ratings, and I, I kind of had the opinion that when it's over four stars, I'm, I'm kind of always going to go out of my way generally to watch it. Five stars is effectively must-see. This is absolutely must-see. Mm. This is an amazing match. And for, half an hour sprint, which I don't know if it's just something that Omega can do, because obviously he had that with Okada last year, um, that their match in, in G1. And I'm assuming that match with Ibushi at Budokan is just going to be the oh, most insane yeah. half an hour ever. I mean, God knows what they're going to be able to achieve. Could go five minutes. Yeah. And they started, yeah, yeah actually, why not? Yeah, they could, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, but it would, you know, the the way that it starts off, and you've kind of got these two big heavyweight, like top one A stars mm. in the company, and they're facing each other, and then they start impersonating so the mannerisms, and then it built its way in, and it just doesn't let up mm. as a match. And and Naito's a genius when it comes to just doing the reversals and knowing how to how to do that, and also knowing how to pace matches. Mm and work up those kind of big pace matches like this, especially with someone when he's in there with certain people like Ishii and like Omega. I think Omega's probably the best big match wrestler in the world right now, yeah. isn't he? Um, probably along with Okada. Um, but it's just the pace and the intensity of a big Omega match just has me on the edge of my seat. And you like, even though at times it can be predictable, like you said with the V triggers, yeah. Beto, there are still things that he throws in that are completely unpredictable, i.e. that Steiner screwdriver spot, some of the reverse was out of a Destino that haven't been seen before. So it's built and it's referenced previous matches of that opponent while also adding new elements and new layers to it. It's just great storytelling and great work from Omega. I think that's why Meltzer loves him, isn't it? I mean, I kind of sat there for the first what 15 minutes kind of i don't know whether i was in the mood or what and i was thinking ah this isn't really grabbing me here and i've kind of been hot and cold on some of um kenny's big matches but again like you say once they get going nobody really hits that gear like kenny omega can um, and and again naito's right there with him as well that's just the difference isn't it that's that's why you know he's so highly regarded even if yeah maybe some of what he does isn't always for me um, he always ends up turning the corner and yeah you mentioned star ratings i, I mean i'd maybe argue that the seven stars was a little bit much um but you know uh, he, he, whether it were when you're arguing about you know points of a star um everyone would agree you know this was this was a great match and i did enjoy it myself it was just yeah i mean maybe it was the fact that it was coming after i mean the other match we should talk about zack saber jr and and kota Ibushi, because i thought that was up there with it that was at that that point on day two was probably my, my favorite match of the tournament maybe uh zack saber and kota Ibushi have had better matches in the past but I just love any time you get them two in there. I mean, I don't know how it compared uh, for you two guys, but yeah, maybe maybe a notch level lower than their usual insane level. But the, I mean, there's such a great clash of styles that it's never going to be anything but at least great with those two in there. Zach's been arguably the best wrestler in the world this year. 
and he can work with absolutely anyone. And ever since, I don't know whether it's just the influence of Suzuki's just rubbed off on him, but the way he works his his submissions around everybody else's style, and it's completely credible as well. It's mad to think that these two could have potentially just been on 205 Live. I'd rather have been watching Grand Metalik versus TJ Perkins on 205 <laughs> Live, to be honest with you, yeah. in a rematch of the Cruiserweight Classic final. <laughs> That's the thing that ties these two together, is it? The fact that they were in that Cruiserweight Classic, and, and here they are. You know, they're, they're having, you know, even if it's not like you know, the best match they've ever had, incredible, you know, four and a half star plus stuff. And then, yeah, on 205 Live, you've got the, the rest of those dudes. Yeah, I'm so glad that they're not there, <laughs> to be honest with you. I suppose this was meant to be the final, wasn't it? You could see this as the third, fourth place playoff instead. Mm. Yeah. And is Zack Sabre Jr. coming fourth, just like England? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I thought this was um, possibly the best match the two of them have had, if I'm oh, honest. Right, okay. I thought the psycho not ever, mm. um, but with one another, mm. um, I thought the psychology in this was absolutely amazing. I thought the way that Ibushi was trying to hit sort of his high-flying stuff and was trying to outdo Zack, but Zack had an answer to everything oh, yeah. Ibushi tried. It was a match of counters, was wasn't it? Oh, yeah. And it was for the Kamigoi. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. A new interesting counter that he'd put into some weird submission that you'd never seen before. Then he would twist that submission and turn it into something else. Ibushi's almost like the perfect opponent for Zack to show off his crazy but awesome offense really mm, yeah. um it felt even though ibushi was amazed at this at times it almost felt like a bit of a zack saber jr exhibition because mm. he was doing so much in the match but i'm completely with you benno i think anyone could argue this has been the best match so far mm. um i think i did prefer omega naito slightly but i can see any argument for this being the sort of the second third best match so far it was an absolutely immense match mm. i'd love to see these guys wrestle in a match of higher stakes at some point for a title because mm. they've got something really really special in them i think even better than what we've seen from so far definitely i mean it, i think that the thing about them as well is all these matches we've had them have come in in g1s and it's kind of like this special little rivalry that we get you know exclusive to the g1 and yeah i mean like i said I, i'm in this weird middle ground with this where i i felt like it was maybe the better match on the night maybe I, i'm not quite with you joe saying it's the best match they've had together maybe it was the fact that there were there were a couple of slips in there um although we did there was one wasn't there where um, they were trying to grab a, a tombstone out of zack saber's octopus and they kind of fell into the ropes but i suppose that kind of worked with the story with ibushi's knee um but they did feel like there was a couple of moments where they slipped away from each other so i mean yeah maybe there i mean that's me nitpicking though it was still an an awesome match just you know you get them back in the ring together and they'll probably have a an even better match uh, next time out as well yeah i could see that most definitely for sure okay moving back to uh, the a block with day three then um let's start with a couple of guys we've not talked a lot about yet uh big michael elgin and adam page i didn't mm. expect to start with this one but i find it quite it felt like a really noteworthy match this was a match where i'm trying to watch everything from this g1 but 
the temptation, uh, at least in past years, and even here, is to hit that skip button. And when it's Michael Elgin and, and Adam Page, who's a guy that I'm not hugely into, and a, and a couple of guys who, when they were in there as well, at the start of the match, the, the crowd were really quite quiet. I was thinking, ah, I really wouldn't mind hitting the fast-forward button here. But there was a point in the match, I think there was a... I think Elgin was going for a power bomb. I think it was off the top, uh, and Adam Page hit a, hit a Rana, and the crowd kind of exploded with hangman chants which is not something i ever expected to hear and i think they really really pulled the crowd into it uh i don't know it felt like a bit of a a game changer for for hangman page uh, after his first day as we mentioned him and bad lafale were the the backdrop for just a, a bullet club angle this felt like a, a corner turner here i don't know if uh, you guys agree uh jp have you been a, a fan in the past and did did this do anything for you well, see, I haven't been a haven't been a fan in the past, but you've seen the improvement happen, and I think the first time I kind of really noticed well, and actually probably the match he had with Jay White, which I, I kind of had very low expectations for, and I thought he looked better because he was also injured as well at the time, and he has gotten better. I mean, the the being the elite stuff, I, it doesn't do really a whole lot for me to be honest, but in this it, it's it's nice that he's kind of being able to just be there by himself and it's really been his coming out party in the way that i don't think it has been for jay white mm. and this is this is organic it's going back to what, what we've been saying earlier on and elgin has been has been brilliant brilliant he has. yeah he really has hasn't really he? yeah he has been and he's able to have these matches with anyone he's in such good shape it's it's insane seeing him like this um and the crowd is so much behind page it's the kind of uh, it's the kind of performance that wouldn't make me surprised if wwe frankly starts sniffing around looking to kind of take him on board because he has that kind of real look and connection with that crowd Mm. during during this tournament and especially in this and especially in this match but a lot of credit has to go to elgin as well yeah like i say been really great i actually said to mars chat about g on my brother and i said i could see in the a block the elgin and uh, adam page matches being worth a watch on most nights and i said i thought they'd bring the work rate hmm. because you know that the effort is going to be there yeah. from both guys and they're both out with to prove elgin is obviously at his critics not so much because of his ring work but because of I don't know, whatever, whatever happened outside of the ring. Um, and he's obviously lost bookings and he, he's he got something to prove here. And I think as an athlete, he's gone through the roof here. Like he's more athletic, he's sharper. He's got more fire than he's ever had. Like I've, I was never a fan of his in Ring of Honor, but since he started being booked in New Japan, I thought just the style and the setting really suited him. And he's been great in the last couple of G1s. But here, I think he's really, like I said, got something to prove prove and he's making the most of every opportunity that's been put in front of him so far i've really enjoyed each of his matches he's got he's had jay white's best match so far um, i think which uh, says something and i thought this match was a really good fun i thought both their styles really mesh quite nicely mm. but page is someone who i think has quietly been improving a lot over the past year like i was confused when he ended up in the bullet club and was given these massive opportunities and put in these really prominent positions but 
he sort of knows that there's criticism that's kind of on his head and there's an expectation in his head as a result of that. And he's really lived up to it. And I know that he was quite an experience when he first came into New Japan. But man, has he gradually improved over these last couple of years. And this really has been designed like his coming out party. And good on the guy because he works his ass off. Whenever I watch Ring of Honor, which isn't often, he often has the best match I see in Ring of Honor. He had a great match of Ibushi on the WrestleMania show this year which I felt thought got really underrated he had an interesting match of punishment Martinez on the last pay-per-view as well and he's doing quietly good things in ring of honor so I'm really glad that people are actually starting to appreciate the guy because he really has got something um his style the way he throws himself around the ring there's a wild element to what he does his offense mm. looks great I absolutely love some of the stuff that he does the in the ring the as well shooting star of the oh, it looks so good I hate that thing you know I mean uh, really? I like the role in Lariat that he does but I don't know it's just I think maybe it's the the lack of impact on that shooting star um because it's to a standing opponent it just doesn't feel i don't know like there's a lot behind it uh it's a minor critique but yeah not for me that one uh, although i do like the rest of his creative stuff and the fire's there yeah absolutely like he's so fired up and he's really like it's and they're kind of setting a lot of what they're trying to do is as well with this tournament is setting up that next level of star mm. because I think they are expecting stuff to happen when those contracts end up running out in a, in, in January and, and, and all the rest of it, what the situation is. Yeah. So they need to set up those, those stars. And with with Paige, if they can keep on to him, he's someone there. I'm not saying he you put him straight into like a Kenny Omega role, but by God, you can, you can have yourself a really good star, which you can including your Western expansion as well. Sure. I'll always look at guys who work hard, yeah. and him and Elgin always work hard. Like, look at a Silas Young match on a Ring of Honor card. He's shite. Why is he still getting booked by them? He's irrelevant. Whereas you look at an Adam Page match, and the work rate's there, he puts so much effort into what he's doing in a match and he's clearly working hard maybe i'm just a fool for like i don't know football players who look like they're working hard <laughs> and running around the pitch like uh you know <laughs> manic idiots and i don't appreciate the subtlety but yeah Paige is certainly working hard throughout this tournament yeah that's where the uh, the where work rate comes from so yeah it kind of fits uh you know definitely get what you're saying there i mean you both talked about uh building new stars uh i almost dread to go back to him but the the other big story mm-hmm. coming out of day three was jay white beating yeah. tanahashi as well i mean we touched on this match earlier it was very much set up by by night one with the tanahashi uh knee issue uh another match for jay white with lots of uh silly chair use and and ref bumps and even the commentary saying at one point that there were there were people leaving uh in the building um but don't blame <laughs> but notable i mean i jp any pushback from you on that i know uh, joe you you mentioned not liking this one from day one but i kind of as a match i thought they built a nice story with tanahashi's knee it was just later in the match when it started getting really silly where they lost me a little bit but it did feel this is the match where i was thinking there's something there with Jay White. I can see him doing these big matches. It's just maybe the interference stuff and the the ref bump and the him bringing chaos stuff that that maybe hurts it a little bit. But uh, certainly a, a statement him uh, going over Okada and now going over Tanahashi. I'd be curious if you're at it in your pickings, Jay uh, JP. 
I, did, I had Jay White winning this mm-hmm. one because I figured they were going to give Jay White that push. I, I will say this. I, I had real problems with this match. Mm-hmm. Um, even though in and of itself it was fine as a match, but there were things that I just didn't like. Um, I did the ref bump near the end just looked really for me it looked shit mm. like it, it, it and it was like oh god it, it was that so i wouldn't blame people kind of leaving at that point <laughs> because it's like all oh, right this is how it's going to be is it and and again you you know you kind of had the selling there was this really stalling offense as well i think i found it in this one as well it just sort of really dragged for me the promo afterwards the promo was bad which, Oh, oh so bad. Those middle fingers. Oh, I just want someone to come in there and just bite his fingers off. Just chop <laughs> them off, please. Hey, so we can't put them up anymore. He promised chaos and he's delivered it. Um, he's a bit like Trump. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the promos are, are a weak spot. I mean, I don't think I'm as negative on him as you, Joe, but yeah, the promos are, are really, really bad. Um, it's not so much the content, I think. The, the words make sense if you write them on paper. It's just, yeah, it's just maybe the unconvincing uh, delivery. But yeah. definitely strong than putting over, you know, the two, their two pretty much biggest stars over the first two uh, first two A-block nights. So they're, they're, they're certainly behind them and they're obviously certainly building them. It kind of, it did ask the question for me. I mean, if Jay White's beating Okada and Jay White's beating Tanahashi... Yeah, that's tiebreaker matches, isn't it? He has to lose yep. a couple of matches going towards the end now to be our contention for the group. And and yeah, I've I'm I was looking through my list to see where I'd actually put those those matches in, and it, to be honest, it's bloody confusing. <laughs> l- l- looking at an Excel spreadsheet, at the best of times. I think. Sorry, one other thing I wanted to add on about this match that annoyed me <laughs> was the fact that Jay White beating Tanahashi. It should have been a bigger deal than this. Mm. And I know it's, it's G1, and I know it's the win, but it should have been cleaner. It should have meant more because it was him getting that win back from Wrestle Kingdom. And instead, it was just done in this kind of cheap way over an injured Tanahashi. And it doesn't, and it doesn't help. It does, it, that's not the way... That's the kind of stuff that you expect from WWE in terms of like yeah. how to get someone over. And it's like, actually, no, it's well, not going to work. It's, it's not like, it's neither heroic defeat yeah. nor overcoming the odds to winning. Would you, would you like a conspiracy theory on that? Oh, go on. <laughs> I'm thinking, I mean, the other, another notable one from night three is Okada and Bad Luck Fale, which was another one of the matches with lots of garbage interference. And I was sitting there thinking, it's kind of, it's just overkill. You can do it with Jay White. You can maybe do it with these this offshoot of the Bullet Club with Bad Luck Fale and Tamatonga, but doing it with both feels like a lot. I wonder if with Jay White, the, the, he's the new Fergal Devitt, and there's going to come a point where the yes. reason he's, he's he, they're doing this and they're being so heavy-handed with the interference is at some point we're going to get a join-up of, of, of that crew. Um, what do they call themselves? The, the Bullet Club outcasts, the... Firing Fire, squad, such a bad name. The firing squad yeah. and Jay White and and in being the the 2018 failed Devitt. What do you reckon? Have I got my tin hat, foil hat That's on? That's a really there, good or... fear. He's a Kiwi. Mm. He would he would That's kind the of connection, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 I think yeah. Farley got him into the company or was very much involved in his yeah. early training. He did, yeah, yeah, he did. Because mm. I've, I've I've thought that Hanara is going to end up joining them as well. It would give him something to do if they're doing this this offshoot group. Oh. I could I could see that being the case. The other kind of theory I had was whether or not they would the next like they'll they'll come the point where the referee turns against Jay White as well, 
and he realizes that actually he can't win without the cheating at the moment, kind of showing his uh, experience, yeah, yeah. and then maybe go back and reflect on it, which is the kind of overall beauty of New Japan when they make booking mistakes, mm. that they actually seem to be able to work out a way of being able to say, actually, the character learned something from this experience, went away and changed. Um, and that's that's this kind of long-form storytelling you've got going on. So you could do that. It would be very similar to what they've... What, and we're going to talk about it later on, what they've done with firing squads mm. anyway, like late today. So it would be mimicking the same storyline within the two blocks. But like I said, that merger idea, that's... Yeah, yeah I didn't think of that. that I think that's a really good theory. I think I, I was thinking that all of this stuff must be playing into something bigger yeah. because it's it doesn't feel like something they traditionally do. And it going on into both blocks, like why is that happening? But I didn't make that association... One of the things I was thinking is, it just feels like there's an obsession based around heat and getting heat at the moment, mm. which you don't often get in New Japan in this way. It feels very WWE, where everything seems based around getting heat. <laughs> and like I was watching it thinking, like, where has the inspiration for this booking come from? You think about how much we slag off progress booking being inspired by WWE. And then I'm here thinking, this feels like the most WWE-style booking that I don't want to see, that I've seen outside of WWE in progress in a long time. But, yeah, if it is a longer-term, like, bigger macro sort of story done leading somewhere... It would make complete sense, wouldn't it? It would. And, and I mean, good uh, segue there, Joe, because it kind of ties into to day four because there's a Tamatonga Sonada match. And you were mentioning there about trying to get heat. And that was the match where, as much as I hated as a fan, maybe they're onto something because on day four, Tamatonga and Sonada, the the ref bumps, the, the run-ins, the Tongan shenanigans on behalf of Tamatonga actually worked in getting Sonada over as a face. Um, is there an argument that the, the fans are you know, tying into that match on day four, that the fans are, are reacting in, in the right way? Or, I mean, do you see it going, I mean, being a case where it, the Japanese fans are on board with this or, or they end up turning against the product? Uh, what do you feel on that? And what was your feel on that match on day four? It's funny, isn't it? Because when Bullet Club first came around as a faction, that was one of the big early criticisms. There was tons and tons of interference and garbage in the matches that was going on. I think there was uh, there was like the special. Was it the best of the Super Juniors that Devitt won? Even where there was yeah, yeah. A fair is that where he won every match all the way yeah. through? Yeah, um, and then, but there was also like a fair whack of interference going on during during that as well. Uh, I did think it really worked for Sonada, who is someone who. The more I kind of see of him, and you see, obviously, he's, he's athletically fantastic, and he can have some really good matches. I, I'm wondering about this the lack of emotion, which is something I used to feel about Naito, that there's going to come a point that, possibly in this one, when it's him and Naito wrestling, you actually start to see some emotion from him, or he only saves it for those kind of selected occasions. And I think when that happens, there's going to be like a real connection between him and the crowd. Mm at that point. So it kind of worked in terms of heating up Sonada. Sorry to come back and bring on about heat again, but it did. Don't don't be sorry, but it certainly, but it, it did kind of work in that way. I mean, yeah, it's just a shame. Like I said earlier, it's not in the, it it worked, but in a way of getting 
Tamatonga of all people over. I think that's maybe what the, yeah. a big part of the problem is. That's the sour taste in your mouth yeah. with it. I wonder if the setting as well, because it's a Corican, mm. and Corican, it seems like it's quite easy to get a reaction from this sort of thing at Corican. Whereas in some of the bigger arenas they run, you don't often get, I find, uh, you don't often get the same reaction from this sort of stuff. So in the first couple of nights when they were in that slightly bigger uh, arena, you weren't getting much of a reaction to this stuff. It was kind of happening to kind of crickets, if anything. So I wonder whether the change of setting is part of that as well, potentially. Yeah, I think I, think I, I hadn't thought about that because I think the last, is it the last two days and tomorrow have, have all been there. Um, yeah, yeah. The most hardcore fans being there as well. Maybe that is uh, that is part of it as well. I mean, we're talking day four and we've kind of, we've gone to the least interesting match, but let's just say, I mean, day four, uh, maybe I'm negative a little bit on that match, but they four felt like the strongest match of the the tour so far for me. Maybe it being a Corican was part of that. Um, but on that day four, I mean, take your pick on on the next thing to talk about here, Joe. Uh, a long list of, of great stuff. Um, what were the other highlights for you on day four? Oh, I think once you got the Tamatonga rubbish out of the <laughs> way, uh, this show got went from strength to strength. I thought Zach Toriano oh was something pretty special, to be honest. Um, <laughs> as I was sort of mentioned earlier about um, them being able to subvert like what Toriano has done previously in this G1, I thought this played into it perfectly, <laughs> and it even played off a previous Zach Toriano match from that G1 uh, special where Toriano pinned him mm. as well. And I just thought this was hilarious, but also... It showed just what a great wrestler Zack Sabre Jr. is, but also how motivated yeah. Toriano is to really do things and prove himself in this tournament as well. And it, this, <laughs> when you talk about reactions, this got the desired oh reactions throughout. Those, the countout teasers, just and the you know the pop when he when when Zack Sabre trying to tie him up outside the ring, but just Yano getting back to the ring, or even when yeah, I think he grabbed uh, was it oh it was like a an octopus stretch or uh, he, he got abdominal stretch. He got an abdominal stretch on Zack Sabre Jr. And the pop from the crowd was just, it was huge. Yeah. Uh, even when he was grabbing the ropes when he was in submissions, uh, I've never heard Yano be so over. It was like maybe, you know, from a best match of the tournament uh, scenario, this isn't, you know, the best match in the tournament. But it might be my favorite so far just because of that, you know, the, the work of Zack Sabre, as you just mentioned. I, I don't think there's been a match so far where I've bought so much of it as well. I bought absolutely every roll-up and i was there with yano just like the crowd was it was just a a perfect little match in honestly to god i think this match at the time i I wrote down this felt like it might be a masterpiece in its own way (laughs) and in terms of taking like an a story Mm. that this crowd had completely engaged in it, it completely worked and there was things that zach was doing that like when he would go to the corner and he's like going to the referee and he's like, will you do something about this? Mm. And the way that, that Zach play Zach plays into it. And I love the presentation of him in new Japan with, with Takamishinoku. It's, it's brilliant. I and thought it, that played in, sorry, interrupt you there. Um, I thought that played in really nicely into the, um, you think about Zach's approach. There's usually like quite a tactical approach to his matches. Mm. So like in the Ibushi match, his approach was I'm going to eliminate all of his high flying and I'm going to have this count for this, this count for this, and I'm going to twist him into this submission maneuver. He's not going to get out. Whereas here it was like Zach was completely lost 
because Yarno's approach was so unconventional, yeah. but also so surprising. He didn't know what to do at various points. Mm. So he started thinking about different approaches and different ways to win the match, which is why stuff like that count out tease worked so well in the context of the match, I thought. Yeah, I think that, that's, that's definitely part of it. And yeah, it just, it's the, it's, I, I think. If you'd have said to me before this tournament, you're going to really look forward to Zack Sabre Jr. and Yano getting in there together, I might have said, yeah, I think I'll enjoy it as a laugh. But honestly, in the days leading up to this and in the, I watched the, you know, the, the, the tags in the lead up, I was so hyped for this. And that was the reason, the fact that I thought that, yeah, this is going to be, it's going to put Zack Sabre off his game, both in kayfabe and non-kayfabe terms. And I just wanted to see Yano, you know, grab those holds and they delivered all of it. Um, absolutely loved it. And yeah, a great advert for the, uh, the Yano brings something different crew because really did uh, on this night um, I suppose the, the other thing that we should I mean day four again stacked stacked block but uh, I mean another story we should probably keep an eye on here is uh, Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega uh, again trying to, to outdo each other they, uh, Kota Ibushi and Juice Robinson have my, have a, what felt like something of a short match but an absolutely awesome match with Crazy spots like that, uh, either the Rana on the apron. Uh, Bushi's just got such poise. He did that moonsault off the ring post, which well more impressive than when Velveteen Dream uh, jumps off the <laughs> WWE ring post and actually jumps further distance. This way, Kota's actually got. He's a bit closer, and it, it it's very it's much more impressive as a than it was a spectacle as well because he's got much less surface area to stand on. I thought that was a great match, and I thought Kenny Omega and, and uh, Hiroki Goto had a great match with. I would say, you know, not a, a coincidence. Kenny Omega hitting a moonsault in that match as well. We're, we're obviously uh, building towards something with uh, Omega and Ibushi. And uh, yeah, how did uh, you both uh, feel on, on their two uh, matches on this big stack day four? I thought Ibushi versus Juice was really good fun. I think Juice Robinson, like I said earlier, is so such a natural when it comes to playing this gimmick and just the kind of fun-loving nature of him as a babyface. He's one of the best white meat babyfaces around, I think, and this crowd seemed to really eat him up. Um, So's Kota, really, to a degree in Japan as well. Yeah, true, yeah, true. No frills, no entrance scared he is. He's the white meat babyface, isn't he? Just, uh, just a very, very beautiful one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, yeah, I thought this was a really fun match, but then I thought um, Goto Omega was another great main event from Omega. I didn't think it was as good as the Nio match, and I definitely wouldn't put the five stars that Dave Meltzer's put on it, that's for sure. But uh, there was some stuff in here that was absolutely amazing. Again, that dive on the balcony, mm. um, it seemed I haven't seen Corican um, brawling really ever until the Super Juniors this year when Desperado and Takahashi did it and then Takahashi and Ishimori did it and Omega here doing it in a G1 match it felt fresh in a match between two heavyweight guys and it was quite a cool way to build to this spot as well in the match I think that was probably the most noteworthy thing coming out of the match and like you were saying Benno the comparisons with the Ibushi storyline as well so I thought that was great Um, I don't know what you thought JP um I thought for this one, similarly, I really, I mean, this day was absolutely, mm. was absolutely brilliant. And I completely loved, and we haven't talked about it yet, but night, the, as much Naito Ishii, just com- those two, the chemistry they have whenever they have matches, um, it, it's just incredible. And especially the way that Naito was trying to take the blows from Ishii. And then there was a point where Ishii was like going right into the, into the throat. 
Um, I digress talking about that one. Going back to Goto and uh, Omega, um, what I found with Go uh, with Goto is is that while he's never someone that people really seem to get behind and, and really in, invested in at a point like they really believe if they never really believe he's going to become the IWGP champion. He really turns it on during G1 season. He, he absolutely does. And he holds his own in those main, in those main events. And just overall this, like these five matches in terms of like the, the way that the Sonata Tamatonga match ended, then you, you know you have your Yano Zack Saber Jr. Juice Ibushi Ishi Naito Go Omega. The whole bloody show was great. Absolutely loved this this card. Well, you just touched on it there, JP. I mean, uh, we can't. I mean, we, we've pretty much talked the entirety of day four. It was that good. But before we do get to day five, I mean, we've got to talk about a little bit more about that Ishi Naito match. I mean. For me, uh, another one of the the strongest matches of the tournament. I don't know what it is about uh, Ishii and Naito, but they've just got such chemistry. Uh, these two together, I think it just brings out the best in each other. Uh, I think the fact that the two are the best wrestlers in the world is a, another reason for that. But yeah, I mean, any thoughts on this one, Joe? I I really liked it. I kind of thought it was a, that the type of match that puts both guys over because Ishii got to look, you know, his same old hard-nosed, refuses to die self, and Naito almost had to gut it out, you know, in a match that's relatively early in the tournament. It took a lot for him to beat Tamahiro Ishii. Um, it almost felt, yeah, like one of those losses for, for Ishii that uh, doesn't harm him at all and uh, puts both guys over. Yeah, it's a proper belt of this one, wasn't it? Um, I really like it when Naito goes one-on-one with Ishii and starts throwing strikes as sort of an equal of Ishii. I, I like I think Naito's striking game is quite underrated, actually. And one of the things, one of my biggest criticisms of Naito, and I loved the Jericho match he had, but I didn't like the emotion that Naito I found wasn't conveying in that match. When he's against Ishii, there's an emotion that Ishii brings out of him, and I find his facial expressions are stronger. I don't know why it is. I don't know if it's the style they're wrestling. I'm really not sure. Mm. But there's something that comes out of Naito when he faces Ishii as an opponent that I don't see come out of him enough, I find. Um, I thought this was bloody great. Might be my second favourite match of the entire tournament after the Omega Naito match. So... Really, for me, Naito's been the MVP uh, so far of the tournament, potentially. Two absolutely cracking matches. Um, I love the finish of this one. Mm. The only thing I wish was the brain buster that Naito reversed into the Destino. And then, obviously, there was a near fall, and he went back to the second Destino. I wish he just pinned him straight from the brain buster. I think that would have got an even bigger pop if he was to have done that. It was such a cool reversal. It was kind of half Um, a Destino, wasn't it? Maybe that's what they were thinking. But, yeah, I would have bought it as a finish as well. Um, but then we might not have got the the great Kevin Kelly Destino call in the. Uh, in the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, we haven't talked much about the the commentary. Uh, probably a good segue to that. I think uh, this. I mean, that call was great from Kevin Kelly, but in general, I think he's doing done an awesome job. And I think Rocky Romero being in there has actually been better than I've expected, given us the the pure sports side. 
Yeah, I completely agree with you on that one as well. I think Kevin Kelly is so invested in this job, isn't he? And the research and the depth and knowledge that he has on New Japan, especially New Japan over the last five years, is immense. And he adds a lot to the matches and the background of the matches. Gives the matches an importance so they're a bit more context as well. And I suppose it's a vital role that he's playing, considering there are lots of kind of newer viewers to the product as well. Mm. And they seem to be gaining lots of newer Western viewers as well so i think he's done a great job and i think romero um obviously has been associated with new japan for what well, it's got to be over 10 years now hasn't it mm. so, such a long tenure there so he's an absolute expert in the product as well i i, I do like callis when he's there um i do prefer it when it's kelly and callis i think they're a good three-man team as well i think callis injects a little bit of something else into it as well and breaks up the kind of serious nature of the comedy comedy of the commentary mm. and adds like a touch of comedy that is also based around um the actual storylines that are going on the product as well but yeah i think the guys are doing an absolutely great job so far definitely uh, let's move on to uh, day five then. Uh, that was uh, earlier today. This is the last day we're going to cover in our our week one coverage. Uh, back to back to the A block. Uh, a couple of things kind of uh, eventually uh, paying off here. Uh, I suppose uh, let's start it at the bottom. Somewhat a couple of people we've not talked about so far: Yoshihashi and Minoru Suzuki. Uh, before we get to the big stuff, uh, Yoshihashi is someone we've not talked about so far in the podcast. But it's for a reason. Uh, I really thought this uh, this match with Minoru Suzuki kind of summed up his, his tournament. Um, Yoshihashi just looks unconvincing. And I think that's part of it is is the character, JP. But part of it is just it feels... It almost felt like when Minoru Suzuki's selling for him that he's got no respect for Yoshihashi. And I know a lot of that's the character. But it almost felt like people were in the crowd we're, we're laughing at Yoshihashi when he's trying to grab like a, a karma uh, move on trying to grab a submission um, I don't know it almost felt like Minoru Suzuki felt embarrassed to be selling for him maybe I'm reading too much into it but yeah it's the only chance we've really had to talk about Yoshihashi because there's not been much notable uh, from him in this tournament he's just uh, I don't know he's just a, he's, a, he's a body in there that uh, I don't think is necessary at this point that's it. I think the part of the only reason he is he's there well, he's there for I think one of two reasons. One is to get a shock win over someone. Mm. To kind of like it wouldn't surprise me for him to beat Jay White just in some weird way. It's like chaos versus chaos, and he just beats him inexplicably. But that's really it. Or perhaps there's so some uh, interference <clears throat> that pays back uh, some chaos interference that gets yeah. the one over on Jay White, maybe. Yeah, that that would be oh, doing it with Yoshihashi. That I mean, Kenny Omega struggled to get a good match out of Yoshihashi. They had a match in, on a Ring of Honor show, didn't they? And it was, it was they had like a half an hour main event a couple of years ago in New Japan because Yoshihashi beat Omega in the G1 oh, yeah. two years ago when Omega won it. I remember. I mean, they rematched them, and it was it was quite dull. You know? Yeah, it's the thing with him is is you don't really understand him or his motivations other than he's clearly gone away on an excursion to Mexico. Hmm. That much you can gather from his character. And he's changed his trunks so they look more like Nakamura and their big mates. It's like, other than that, really, he kind of almost suffers from what Naito had personality-wise where you, a while back, it sounds incredible to say, we, there just wasn't any connection with him. Hmm. But Naito was still brilliant in the ring. But Yoshihashi just feels 
very average there to take the fall. He's a man who should be trying to claim a shot of the uh, WWE UK British Heavyweight Championship, to be honest, yeah. considering he's got a win over Pete Dunne. <laughs> yeah, they should do that at some point. Uh, maybe that, maybe that. Send them on long-term. Then again, if they send them an excursion here, we've got to watch him. That's the problem, isn't it? Um, he's kind of... I pick on him a lot. I mean, I used to... I mean, I still do. I pick on Goto quite a lot as well, because I kind of, in some ways, feel the same way. But you, you mentioned the Kenny Omega then. Yoshihashi hasn't got a match in him like Goto had with Omega in the final year before last and on, yeah. on night one here in this tournament. It's just, yeah, I don't see the positives with him at this point. Um, and when it starts bleeding into your character as well, I mean, all his character really is. He's kind of, I've got it written on my notes when I'm kind of describing each of the guys in the, in the tournament. I've got him down as unconvincing loser. And that's, that's him. That's almost yeah. unconvincing loser in Nakamura uh, tribute gear. Um, he's just so low rent. Yeah, he is. And do you know what? I mean, in terms of the matches, you would have had, if you'd had, say, David Finley and like the match level at least would have been on a, on a decent level. And at least David Finley has some kind of connection with that crowd, even though he's very low down the card as well. Well, he's not the kind of person I think this A block's missing, to be honest. I think they're missing mm. like a Nagata or a Kojima, it, yeah. like a veteran workhorse. And I think you look at the role Nagata played last year in the G1. He was amazing throughout. Obviously, it was his last one, so there might have been that extra bit of motivation to go out on a high but like Kojima I know is Kojima got a knee injury I think yeah. if I remember rightly but just having that kind of older veteran guy with a bit of credibility in there um, would give this a better basis in terms of like work rate and credibility I think in terms of guys going over on people with that experience I know you can argue Suzuki and Tanahashi say, yeah maybe Makabe Suzuki yeah, is probably the best comparison, isn't he? Um, uh, he's, not, he's not as good as, say, a Nagar mm. or a Kojima in the ring, though, is he? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, like, I, I can't say I care or have any in, interest in Maccabee. Yeah. I'll he's be not honest. Not... Is he? He's not one for the Gaijin. He's kind of... He's there as a big celebrity in Japan, isn't he? That's kind of his role. Although... In his matches so far, he he's kind of brought the fight. I mean, we're talking about Yoshihashi and Minoru Suzuki. He was him and Makabe and Suzuki was a a bit of a highlight of uh, of Suzuki's tournament. I've not watched any Makabe matches so far. <laughs> if I'm honest, uh... that was a real surprise. That mm. one though, the the Makabe Suzuki, because I didn't didn't see that that coming at all. And I think that yeah that that came on the day like my worst day of the Pickums because. I doubt most people obviously would have put down Minoru Suzuki to beat Makabe for that as well. Uh, yeah, he's he's never going to go much beyond the never level mm. Makabe. And you've got Kojima and Nagara, the former IWGP champions yeah. as well. And there's that extra bit of credibility True. based on that Tenzan as well yeah. a few years ago. Um, I just feel like we're missing that veteran, if anything. Well, Tanahashi and Suzuki, like I said, are... Uh, veteran sort of status but they're not at that kind of status where you think they're completely done in main events mm. whereas you almost know Kojima and Nagata were done in main events really yeah. when they were in these G1s 
but it was like their big moment in the year to shine where they have great matches. You almost want maybe someone to come over from another company, like maybe one of the guys from the independence in Japan, like a Daisuke Sakamoto or someone. Yeah. Or it was great when they had, um, I know he's not a veteran of the same caliber, but when they had Marafuji and Nakajima, Nakajima a couple of years ago, um, coming over from Noah yeah. was great as well. And yeah, it's just maybe missing someone to give you that extra bit of work rate in the A block. Like a Sugira or someone like that. Yeah, yeah, it would be great. Noah. <laughs> oh, sorry, he's Noah, isn't he? Of course, I get confused. Who am I thinking of? So, am I thinking of Sawama? Um, from all Japan. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, 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 yeah. And Ishikawa as well, maybe. Yeah, and the, the, yeah, there's options for that. That that would have that would have made it much more interesting. Definitely. I think, yeah, you place Yoshihashi with anyone, I think it gets a bit more interesting. But I don't know. He's got, he's got a, a few more weeks to maybe change some minds, but based on the evidence so far, uh, I definitely don't see it. Um, another highlight on, on day five on today that I thought a big highlight, uh, Okada and, uh, and Hangman Page um, kind of mm-hmm. paid off a lot of things we've talked about so far in this show. I think Okada, as much as you know, the gimmick's very, very silly, he looks vulnerable in this tournament, doesn't he? And I think that really paid into this match with Hangman Page. There wasn't another scenario, really, where I could say, oh, yeah, I'll look at this and think Hangman Page has got a chance. But I think the fact that Okada was going in on, uh, you know, having lost two matches kind of just gave it a little bit more and it gave the near falls, a, I don't know, a, a little bit more believability. Um, and, it, and again, the match itself gave Adam Page some credibility too it gave him some real main event credibility i thought uh, i think uh, this was uh, if the previous uh, the michael elgin match wasn't the coming out party for hangman page i, I definitely thought uh, this was uh, this was a, a big moment in his career probably the the biggest match of his career so far god yeah and they're, they're dueling chance you know when you've got the, when you got a japanese yeah when they were the crowd they were chanting pagey um <laughs> Uh, against a Carter, that's uh, that's that pretty incredible. Yeah. That does say a lot, and especially at Kurikan as well, where you know you you would imagine seeing a Carter in in singles matches at Kurikan are a real rarity, so they're likely to be you know entirely behind him all, every step of the way. But again, he just carries on what we've said about Page and, and about the amount of effort he brings in, the way that they they kind of worked it nicely into the storyline about saying he actually wanted the best of Carter, he really wanted to test himself didn't want to see like a distracted Okada in the match and kind of bringing Okada out of his shell somewhat toward like, you know, through his effort mm. to, to get to that point. And then, then when, when Okada wins, um, and I thought even you know, hangman page did, did well with a lot of the counters he did to, um, to the rainmaker at a very, at various points. Um, so yeah, really great. And just hoping, regardless really of what happens with page i mean he's his stock has risen he'd have to have an absolute disaster from here on out yeah he got so much offense in this match Mm. as well the card has sold so much for him which i think really got him over with that corrigan crowd didn't it and his Mm. like i said before i thought his offense looked great throughout as well there was some really cool stuff throughout this um and what i liked is just seeing a young guy know he's got this massive opportunity and making the absolute most of it I, I don't mean to bring him back to Jay White but as I sort of said earlier you look at the character Jay White is playing and you look at Adam Page here and they're worlds apart in terms of how organic and how comfortable they feel within their own skin when 
they are in the ring doing what they need to do within the context of their matches. And Paige, I thought this was his coming out party, really, wasn't it? It was designed as his coming out party. And man, did it work as his coming out party. Good on him. I also loved how Okada won the match as well because he hit that uh, sort of spinning lariat. And when he just picked him up, and he beat him one Rainmaker. So it sort of showed, hey, Okada's still the man. He's still, you know, better than Page. But at the same time, Page can bring it. And Page has got something about himself as well. So, yeah, I think Page comes across almost like the um, Honma of this tournament in that kind of underdog role where he gets more and more over throughout the tournament by having good matches and being like an mm. unlucky loser if anything mm. it feels very much like he is channeling a similar sort of role here i can definitely definitely see that for him um any other highlights from day five i almost loathe to to bring up <laughs> the other two matches uh... i really liked um farley versus tanahashi mm. Um, I thought this was the best Farley match I've ever seen. Like for me, Farley is someone I could not give a shit about. Um, he's the cane of New Japan, someone that just hangs around and never goes away, and just <laughs> that never really does anything for me. Like I'd probably put Kane in my five most disliked wrestlers of all time, <laughs> and Farley might have been edging towards there as well. Um, but Tanahashi here, I've, uh, Tanahashi is just, we, we need to treasure this man. He is something truly special. Like, I think he's one of the absolute greatest wrestlers that I've certainly ever seen. And he's one of the guys that got me into New Japan. And this was just an absolute masterclass on how to get the best out of someone with real limitations. You think of the way that this match was structured. Tanahashi was basically running around, guiding Farley through the match. That seemed clear and obvious, but Farley was hitting his big spots at the right time in the match as well. Like little things like that um, sit down arse spot. I don't know what what it's called. I'm really oh, bad at moving. He really looked like he killed. <laughs> yeah. Him, but the, the way it was thrown into the match, it just looked great. The way mm. Tanahashi sold here as well and got emotion from the crowd and the crowd got well and truly into a Farley match and believed in the kind of monster versus like a smaller underdog approach that Tanahashi was employing here as well. Like I, I thought this was absolutely awesome and a testament to just how great Tanahashi mm. is as a wrestler. And I hope that he just never retires and I hope he, hope he can keep this up forever because I'm never going to get bored of watching him do what he was doing here yeah. as well. Some of the reversals towards the end as well, the way he threw that, um, Ah, oh, what do you the call it? Blade. The sling blade in the end, where it kind of looked a little bit rough, a little bit, you know, off kilter. But that kind of worked yeah. within yeah. what the match was and where we were going in the match. And as then well. he hit a really gorgeous one out of the um, bad, uh, the the is it the bad luck bomb? No, the the far oh, lane. The grenade. The gr- yeah, 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 yeah. Where he, yeah, yeah. That looked looked so it's good. Just gorgeous. It's those little things, isn't it? It's the. It's even like the struggle. You know, he's selling, and when he try, he, part most of his offense in this match was trying to chop down the big man Farley, which he does in pretty much all the matches they have together. But it's just like you know, simple things like we, he goes for a a clover leaf on Farley, and it's the struggle in trying to get Farley over. It's just that that little extra bit of psychology, that little extra bit of thought in in what he does in a match is what makes him, you know, obviously one of the the all time greats. How do we all feel about the ending? So. The ending, I was at first, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I, 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 as he 
hit the high five. I was yes. like, oh, thank God. And then, obviously, he pulled red shoes out, and I was like, for fuck's sake. Yeah. And then he had Tamatong. And then, yeah, obviously, a Tamatonga turn up as well and over overhit his gun stun, t- mistimed it a little bit. But then, I'll tell you what, Red Shoe's middle fingers, <laughs> I've been talking about Stone Cold, his middle fingers put Jay White to absolute shame. We're going to have to replace yeah, Joe's obviously. beer of the week with Joe's middle fingers of the week. Yeah. <laughs> Vince Lamont saying Valentine's Day massacre. Oh yeah, that's what he kind of reminisced It felt like a payoff, though, didn't it? Uh, you know, we've talked a yeah, lot absolutely. about the. I think we'll get a bigger payoff later down if my conspiracy theory pays off. But this felt like, yeah, finally, you know, it it, it just seems so obvious. This one, didn't it? I, I had the same feeling as you, Joe. I thought they built a really great match, and when you know Tanahashi finally pulled out that last sling blade and high five flow, and then to get that finish robbed, you know, and have the ref pulled out. I had that horrible feeling in my gut, but yeah, they did pull it back somewhat by you know just doing the obvious logical thing that you don't always get with New Japan refereeing. Um, they can be a bit inconsistent. At least they made one of their referees uh, look strong for once. Yeah, good on them. It reminded me of when Earl Hebner started sending up to Triple H, which was always great. Um, <laughs> and considering the referee abuse that's gone yeah. on for the tournament so far, <laughs> it was nice to see the referees one-up the uh, perpetrators here. Well, he had the terrible bump. Was it Marty Asami took the terrible bump? Sorry, it's a bit of a transition with the J.Y. Elgin match. Mm. Oh yeah yeah, 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 and that just looked really bad, and that sucked the life out of the, out of the crowd again. Um, whereas, and, and whereas here, they've been saying that how Red Red Shoes Umino was the was this was one of the great referees in the world. I'm thinking, I'm not really seen this. <laughs> we have a shite tournament, if anything. He's he not really coming across as Kalina-esque. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was it. It worked here at the same time because yeah. the crowd were really up when it yeah. was going on as well. And you could tell that this was the most invested I've heard the crowd be in any of the interference and any of the shenanigans yeah. so far as well. Mm. So, you know, Tanah- Farley has had a better match with Tanahashi than Jay White's had on two different occasions. So... I'm sorry to keep harking <laughs> on Jay White, but <laughs> well, I mean to wrap up on day five. So I want to say something nice about Jay White. I'll throw something in because I mean there is that tie-in, isn't there, between the the Tanafale match and I kind of this was the the show today where I managed to watch the the two big match, two last two last matches live, and then I went back and watched uh, Elgin and Jay White, and I was kind of feeling the same as you, JP. They they did the interference spot in there and the low blow finish, and the referee was made to look a fool. But I suppose you can't have two referees doing uh, that big payoff on the same show i suppose you do need to to build it somewhat but yeah that elgin j white match this was the match where i was thinking i've been completely convinced jay white in this character is a write-off part of it might be the fact that in this i mean my we've we raved about Michael Elgin um, before on his previous matches but here with jay white i think there was i think maybe it was the chemistry there or there was something about Jay White working the character in this match that I, I much preferred to his previous two matches. He was kind of, I don't know, he, he was very much the slippery heel kind of sliding away from Elgin and he, he still had that element of his character, but a lot of the match wasn't fighting from underneath. And I don't know if that's a, 
mean mm. i'm not maybe i'm not defending the character in saying this but i almost thought when he was trying to hit the power moves on the bigger man and you know you got those big spots where he'd finally get elgin up for, up for stuff that was probably the best of of jay white that's the the jay white that i prefer um and i did think that they they put together a really good match i mean i hated the low blow finish um i'm still not completely shulled on the character he feels a little bit sean o'hare for me um but there was something about this match that, that gave me some hope i mean retro references aside uh, did, did you feel any of that hope jp in this one or, or... i no, go ahead a, a bit more i was worried that that white had killed elgin when that j oh, driller god it was like a small wrong. package to the, the floor wasn't it yeah, they were they very much got out of jail on that one because that could have gone so badly wrong. That was absolutely, yeah, Joe's just showing us a clip of this. I mean, it was horrible. Mm. Um, it's like a small package they got in away with yeah. it. It was yeah, like Elgin was uh, falling. He was like, you know what, you're coming with me. And they both went. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But the thing is, I mean, again, saying with Elgin from a, having so much to prove in this tournament, again, really good, like really great performance from him knowing and showing his adaptability being able to work with different opponents again um and being much more experienced so yeah uh, i just hope that we get a kind of turn in the jay white story possibly with the next set of a block matches at some point i think that this match actually worked like you said Bello, to jay white's strengths a lot more than the okada and tanahashi matches did the okada and tanahashi matches felt like it was trying to make jay white look strong against like the two mm. aces of the company if anything and that's the wrong place for him isn't it exactly and he was like quite dominant in the mm. match as well and was almost dictating the pace of the match to some extent whereas here it was a much more kind of athletic fast-paced contest which elgin i thought looked bloody great in mm. and jay white was a good dance partner for elgin in this sort of encounter like i think the three elgin matches so far have been just really solid matches um and yeah, it was good to see Jay White actually showing that he does have ability. But I, like we sort of said previously, I just think it's the character, the layout of the matches, whereas the layout of this match was much more complementary to his style and what he's good at. And he's in an opener, no, not an opener, but he's not in the main event, is he, either, which I also think helped. He's winning again, though. That's three wins for Jay White. No one's catching him. Oh, man, if he's in that final, then we're going to get possibly the worst final i think we've had since i started watching g1s in 2013 but surely not surely not i wouldn't go i mean i think he's the grease in euro 2004 (laughs) (laughs) i mean i I mean i don't think i'd go that far i mean as 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 much as i don't like the character i think we've all kind of said we haven't said his matches have been bad have we just maybe poorly laid out um but yeah then again yeah it doesn't naturally lend itself to a, a great final this character but no. it, it does feel like maybe that's uh, that's where we're going to end up yeah i don't want to see another greece one nil win <laughs> that was a painful tournament georgia samaras <laughs> no it wasn't him that scored the winner it was caragunas i think <laughs> was it i can't remember caristeus caristeus maybe <laughs> Uh, but we uh, we digress. I mean, that, that that pretty much brings us to the end of uh, our, our day five. I mean, any other notes uh, from day five or uh, on the tournament uh, as a whole uh, so far in this first week? 
Evil's in it. <laughs> is he? He's there. <laughs> yeah, he's having matches. Oh, wow. And they're, they're, they're existing. <laughs> That's about what you could say for Evil so far. Other than that, that powerbomb box uh-huh. with Yoshihashi. Uh, he's had no. I mean, the Elgin match was solid big lads wrestling. He's having solid matches. It's just, it is hard to get excited about Evil, really, isn't it? He's not in the best block that would actually suit him. He needs to be in there, obviously, with... I, I think with with slightly more dynamic workers, mm. and I don't think, and I think that's one of the things that A block lacks is is dynamism yeah. at times, and he doesn't have that to play up against. So like him versus a Bushi, for example, he could be a really good base for a Bushi to work around. Um, you know, having that, I look forward to the match that possibly he could end up having with Suzuki. Um, him and Akada was great. Yeah, last him and Akada when he beat Akada. Yeah. So, I mean, he does serve his purpose. I, I mean, in terms of his own career path, I like. I kind of want to see him around the tag division, frankly, for a while. Mm. To I kind think, of rebuild those tag be. belts. And that's the best place for him. I'd like to... Re- I know I've gone back to the bloke again. Jay White in the tag division. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who would you see him with, Joe? Come on, let's go, let's go deep on Jay White. <laughs> <laughs> like, it actually occurred to me today, I was thinking... Like he'd be good as a tag wrestler for a while. Like, mm. why not have him and Dave Finley as a tag team for a good while? The tag team division's pretty limp, let's be honest. And you could really build both of them as wrestlers in the tag division, and then have them go their separate ways. Like, yeah. Uh, but sorry to go back to that. Talking of tag matches, did either of you watch the uh, Tamatonga and Tangaloa against Kenny Omega and Chase Owens matches at all from day five? No, no I sk- that this was the one undercard that I had to skip entirely. Um, but the setting up, aren't they? The the Omega Tamatonga match uh, that we're all we all can't wait for. I yeah. mean, how was it? Meh. <laughs> That's the best place for it, though, isn't it? For Tamatonga, he needs he should be in a tag team. I like Chase Owens. <laughs> like Chase Owens is better than Tamatonga. Um, he hasn't got the greatest look, but he's fine in the ring. And I'm watching this thinking, what's he got to do to get into the G1? Because he could be there to lose every match and have perfectly passable matches and even being squashed. Yeah, maybe next year. Yeah. Maybe next year. I think they but still see him as a junior, don't they? Although he has put a little bit of weight on. Yeah, he's put like not the right sort of way mm. on. <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? I'm probably body shaming now, so I better watch out. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I mean, before we uh, we roll out of here, then uh, what we'll do at the end of... Uh, we'll be back again next week, but for the end of uh, week one, uh, I want to take uh, maybe uh, maybe your highlight and, and your low light of the, the first five days. Could be a wrestler, could be a match, uh, could be anything, really. Uh, what's uh, maybe you first, uh, Joe? What's been your, your highlight of the, the week so far, of the G1 so far? Of, uh, of week one well my highlight of the week generally has been wwe looking like tone deaf idiots are bringing hulk hogan back <laughs> and then people responded i've been finding that hilarious but also embarrassing and yeah that was a good laugh um fair play to titus o'neill um <laughs> but in g1 generally i think my low light i've mentioned it time and time again do i need to say the man's name again uh, <laughs> i can't remember the last time that i disliked a wrestler at the level i currently dislike jay white at <laughs> and watching him I, I just honestly i'm trying to think back and i think it might be like 
maybe Snitsky was the last time of a feeling like this. I hated Drew McIntyre when WWE brought him in in 2009 because I could see he was good and I knew that he was being overpushed and this wasn't going to do any good for him long term. Um, but yeah, Jay White for me is just not someone I'm on board of at the moment at all. And I've got another, what, six of his matches to watch. So <laughs> I won't be watching all of them. Um, the the <laughs> I'll try and shut up about him for a while. <laughs> um, the the highlight I would have to say is probably being able to just get up every morning and just watch some great wrestling and know that there's something different in store every day from this tournament um, and you know see guys getting a chance to perform at a high level getting to see guys like say a Juice Robinson and an Adam Page get these opportunities um, you know at this point of their career when they're not that many years in is just kind of cool really um, and they've been making the most of the opportunities so it's good to see young talent prospering good stuff good answer uh, JP your uh, highlights and lowlights oh I would say the lowlight uh, trying to say something that isn't Jay White related I, um, I suppose the the lowlight for me uh, has been uh, do you know I mean I have to say I, I, I do loathe Tangaloa <laughs> So, like, even seeing his presence at ringside tends to piss me off. And he turns up for both Tamatonga and Fale matches. Um, I know that's a little bit left field. And, and his involvement has, has kind of pissed me off thoroughly from beginning <laughs> to end. Um, so, slightly different because you've not really kind of mentioned him. Um, two highlights. Uh, I, I would say, as an experience to watch and just sort of popping out of my seat, the, the Yano-Zack Sabre Jr. match something is just like a pure piece of entertainment and enjoying something and it just and it and it's like what you two said about bowler and the idea of this great match after great match after great match and everybody's out doing each other and here this kind of fitted in its own unique place and gave the gave that day of matches which was fantastic anyway just something entirely different and, and away from everything else and, and the other one is, is still inexplicably being able to lead the G1 pick-up. It's exciting. It's like, having a de- it's like having picked a decent fantasy football side, so you're getting a bit of, bit of hope. Well, it's I all- like Chris Charlton's book, so you know, let's rock on. It's all down here from here. Oh, it absolutely is. I've, I've, thought, I've jinxed it even by mentioning it. Yeah. Positive to um, JP. I want you to take the voices one and I'll take the post one. That'd be a nice split. Oh, yeah. And what are your highlights and lowlights, Ben? I reckon for highlights, I'd go with, I think, Yano, honestly. I think, and specifically that Yano is Xavier Jr. match. I just, I've loved Yano um, in this first week. Um, I'm really excited to see what he does tomorrow on day six. Um, just in general, uh, I want. I, I never thought I'd be so excited to see. I want him to see him mix it up with Omega, with Obuchi, with Naito. I want to see what this serious wrestling Yano uh, is going to do for the G1. Other guys are obviously having better matches, uh, but he's just been a joy so far. So I would uh, point him out as, as a highlight for me. Um, low light i'll pick on him again uh and it's not jay white i almost feel like a jay white fan by comparison at this point uh yoshihashi um he's just 
I mean, there was a point. I mean, we didn't talk in detail about his match with Evil with that again, that horrible powerbomb botch where they both almost died, falling to the outside. But there was a point during that match where I paused the match to go to the toilet. You know, when you don't think about it, you press pause. And I went, I went. The Lou came back and thought, why did I pause that? Why didn't I just let it run for a few minutes? And that kind of sums up Yoshihashi's tournament for me. It's just he doesn't believe in himself, and I don't. Um, I can't. I really at the moment can't stand the man. He's been a a real low life for me so far. Uh, maybe he'll uh, change my mind in uh, in week two, three, and four. But uh, yeah, uh, so far he's uh, he's definitely been uh, the worst part of uh, the days for me. It's the difference with him and Jay White, though. He's an irrelevance, and Jay White is relevant. Mm. So I've not watched a Yoshi Hashi match because I don't feel like I need to. Whereas I've watched every Jay White match because it feels so relevant. Do you know what I mean? And so like vital to the tournament. Whereas mm. Yoshi Hashi is just making up the numbers. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I, I just think maybe the fact that Jay White, even if I don't like the presentation, I, I feel like he's got some. He's got upsides, even if yeah, maybe it's not in this in this exact presentation. I don't know. Yoshihashi just. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing with Yoshihashi is just why bother at this point. I think that's kind of a my issue with him. Um, but yeah, that uh, pretty much uh, brings us to the end of our, our week one uh, coverage. Uh, the week one coverage brought to you by the the Jay White Fan Club. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, <laughs> uh, ne- <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back next week for uh, for lots of uh, more hammering of, of Jay White. I'm sure. Uh, the plan is we'll be going to doing these shows once a week uh, this one came at, at this point because we're five days in and the plan is from this uh, point onwards to come back on on sundays so from next sunday when we've got week six seven eight nine and ten in the bag we'll cover those five uh, days and then we'll we'll go back and uh, and we'll do the same the, the week after and, and onwards so uh yep that pretty much brings a, an, an end to the show i would like to plug the indie do check out the reviews that we've got up there look he's doing a, a fantastic job of uh, recapping on on the nights of the G1 going so far and there's also all the usual stuff up there with graps and claps, uh, PWG audio review and and all kinds there for you to check out. So uh, yeah but before you go you can catch me on Twitter at BensonRichardE and Lemsip4Ps and JPGP3Es Awesome and we'll uh, be back next week with week 2 of our G1 coverage and uh, keep an eye out, we'll also be retaining with a, a special episode of British Wrestling Spotlight, so keep an, an eye on the Indie Corner feed uh, and we'll see you again next week Bye Hey you <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, you don't have McDonald's vouchers. No, I just <laughs> Are these on the back of a bus ticket? So yeah, that's the one. I've never seen so many in my life. Oh, I just emptied them out. <laughs> i got to say. I it's to always see. the shit stuff. It's like filet o fish yeah i'm like i oh, know uh, you can um ask for a double cheeseburger though i always do so i just right. like, i know it's not on here but can i just switch it out and have a <laughs> cheeseburger instead and they're like yeah go on then it's like contractual um, is it uh, apparently they can manipulate <laughs> i've had one person say no ever and you could tell he was like new and a little bit unsure yeah <laughs> i mean the manager yeah. came over and was like yeah that's fine so 
You know, yeah. it's like it's like when you're. Uh, it depends on the staff. Like Subway is a big one where I don't know whether it's free refills or not, and no one who works there actually knows whether you're allowed free refills. <laughs> like I, I used to ask, and sometimes they'd say yeah, and sometimes they'd say no. Now I just take. Oh, just I just assume. used to do it. We used to yeah. get a Subway mm. when there was like nowhere to go in Southampton after pubs closed. Subway was open to one, so we'd <laughs> go and sit in Subway for like two hours and get a coke and a cookie <laughs> and just sit there like refilling like, yeah. constantly and then they give us loads of like free cookies that were thrown out at the end of the night quite often as well we did, did that, that at the super strong style evolved a strong style evolved didn't we did we like in nando's with the, with oh, the glasses yeah. yeah but that was like midday watch oh yeah with the refill yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i get yeah. i mean i'm not a big this fan but i get 20 percent discount with uh with my work so Oh, just, just bragging a little bit there. It's pretty, uh, pretty good. How, how, why is that? It's just like an emergency services thing. Oh right, cool. That, that you'd go somehow. Down I can't. Most of the uh, British wrestlers, most of the Americans oh, no. coming over here. It's so overrated, man. It's chicken with hot sauce. I agree. Like, I like it, but I do agree with you completely. If you've ever been to America and you've been to any decent like restaurant chain, like you're better off. You can get better chicken. Like maybe not Nando's chicken, but I just yeah. I don't know if it's a Brit- I think it's a British thing because we don't have many things with like that kind of flavour. But yeah, I've never been a fan. No, I Sacrilege. do agree with you. I, like, I enjoy it, but Lucy loves it. She's, but and she's a vegetarian. Mm. Apparently, <laughs> the vegetarian options are amazing there. Yeah, I've got two mates who are vegetarians who, who swear by it as well. Odd. That's a group of mates of mine as well in London. Mm. Their pre-drinks used to consist of going to Nando's for dinner <laughs> and then taking a bottle of vodka, getting a refillable drink and pouring vodka into their drinks until Nando's <laughs> closed and then going to a club. Brilliant. I don't like Turkish delight, but no, cheers. Okay. 